Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive, and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. It's man versus machine episode two, Dario. I am the man. And I'm the machine. Are you guys hyped? I mean, that music, I feel like that was, that got me going. I was like, oh yeah, let's go. I got to download the Burt Kersher. I am the machine. (laughs) I want to hear you say it like that, Dario. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's hear it. You got to draw it out. Come on. Draw it out, Dario. Let's go. I'm the machine. (laughs) That's way better. That's what I'm looking for. There we go. Oh, all right. I need more coffee, maybe. (laughs) coffee in one hand red bull in another pounded it out uh all right we have the final results episode one is in the books dario are we you have... gonna let me live that down or what no we, we're, we're we're pulling up the results right now so for those of you who joined us last week thank you for participating inside of our community posts we put the the poll up there to see who won man versus machine episode one debate our projection debate was it the man or was it the machine and the, the community has spoken, Dario. The man won 59% versus the machine, 41%. Now, there's a few comments that I want to talk about. <laughs> a lot of people thought it was 50-50, okay, for a lot of this conversation. Some people said the machine won easily. It started from the Burrow debate. I set the stage wrong there, going off and, and setting the world on fire, talking about Burrow. I felt like if I started somewhere else, Dario, <laughs> this might be a 70-30 split, right? So... I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think you sounds like you're coping, even though you won. I, that's pretty not a good look. <laughs> Something I, I I would like to point out here is that um, we already have a pull up right now for episode two. Somehow people are voting. We haven't even we haven't even got to the debates yet, and there's already five votes. So for those of you who actually voted, make sure to watch the show. <laughs> Go back and then no, just vote for the machine blindly. You can do that too. <laughs> it looks like we have we have some loyal loyal basis here because it's sixty forty right now. There's five there's five votes in there, and six I'm up sixty up forty. So we have some loyal bases right now that are automatically voting for us, knowing they already picked their winner, Dario. So it looks like we have a pretty good fan base going on. We have a pretty good consensus. Looks like it's pretty close to the first poll already. So. Let's see how that plans out. But let's dive into the projection debate for episode number two of Man vs. the Machine. Let's start off with Tua, okay? I know you don't like where I have him ranked, okay? He comes in my rankings right now as quarterback 15, okay? I have Kyler Murray right now ahead of him. I have Aaron Rodgers ahead of him, Kirk Cousins. I have Russell Wilson ahead of Tua, okay? Let's go ahead. Tell me why you don't like it. I think the biggest thing is a lot of people who are watching this show are playing in one quarterback leagues and one quarterback leagues. You have to be thinking first and foremost about spike weeks, about ceiling potential. I mean, there's a chance obviously that Sean Payton reignites Russell Wilson's career, but I think knowing what we know about Mike McDaniel and this Dolphins offense, I think we know that if any week that two is healthy, I think you can count on him to be a top eight fantasy quarterback. And I don't think you can say the same thing about cousins, about Rogers, about Russ, these guys who are ranked ahead of him. So that's kind of the biggest essence of why I think you're too low on Tua at the moment. 
Okay, so just just so everybody in the, in the chat knows, my projections are based on seasonal fantasy points, not fantasy points per game, right? If we were to rank fantasy points per game, I think that we could agree that two is too low at 15. Um, most likely, he would be probably inside the top 11, top 12 in fantasy points per game. Looking at his history last year, he was quarterback number nine in fantasy points per game. However, my projections and rankings, and for those who are doing season long, are relying on the season output. We're not playing DFS here. We're not playing. Maybe we are playing best ball, which is okay. That's fine. This is where this debate kind of crosses crosses lines and we get in the gray area. But from a seasonal output, he has not played more than 13 games his entire career. 2020, he only played 10 games. 2021, 13 games. 2022, 13 games. Two has yet to finish a, 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 a season playing in the entire length of the season. We know he's an injury waiting to happen. One more big hit. Honestly, and his career could be over. I hate to say it because it's 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 sad to see the amount of yeah. concussions that he had last year. But it's a real thing now, and we have to start to being really concerned about his concussion history as well as his f- possible future concussions. I know he's doing what is it, jiu-jitsu or whatever it is, to help brace the falls from the hits in order to 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 reduce the impact. Nonetheless, injury is still a concern with him. He has the weapons. I get it. He has Tyree Kill. He has Jalen Waddle. Um, that's pretty much it but yeah. outside that my main concern here with Tua uh, uh, being ahead of Aaron Rodgers being ahead of Kirk Cousins simply breaks down to injury and it simply breaks down to being able to trust that he's going to finish 16 games or 17 games in a season for a fantasy season and be able to give you that output all season long let's I mean what if we compare him to Dak right last two seasons or maybe just two of the last three seasons I think we've seen Dak have injuries We've seen his rushing upside get nuked by those injuries. You have him ranked ahead of Tua by f- five spots. I think that I think that that's kind of a conversation to be had. That's kind of where I think Tua should be. I think those two guys have had similar trajectories these last couple seasons. I think, and I said this last week in my case against C.D. Lamb, I think the Dallas Cowboys offense is going to regress. They got rid of Kellen Moore despite having been such a productive offense for the last yeah. three seasons under his leadership. And I think that you could make the case for Tua being equal to or above Dak Prescott going into this season. They both, I know that Tua's concussions are a little bit more concerning because that is a recurring injury. But I think that if you're approaching a managed league, you don't care about the downside as much as you care about the upside. Of these guys between quarterback 10 and quarterback 15, Tua has the best chance to break into that top five because of some nuclear season with Waddle and Hill. This is like where he was being drafted last season. And then we saw a ceiling that we didn't even know was possible. And yet he's still being drafted in a similar range this year. In FFPC ADP right now, he's inside the top 75. He's just ahead of Daniel Jones and just behind Deshaun Watson. I think that Daniel Jones is probably another one we might be too low on, but let's keep the conversation on Tua for now. And I think that that's kind of where I'd be looking ahead of moving him. I think that Aaron Rodgers is a particularly interesting case because if he does go to the Jets, there is kind of that Peyton Manning first season in Denver potential upside to unlock. But I don't think that Tua should be behind Russell Wilson and Kirk Cousins. And I think there's a case to be made. He should be ahead of Dak Prescott. Viable, viable discussion here. Russell Wilson, though, has the Peyton Manning effect. No, or not Peyton Manning, the uh, Sean Payton effect here. Too many right? Paytons. Too many Paytons. Yeah, exactly. Has has the Sean Payton effect. We're expecting this offense to, you know, definitely have positive regression. 
right? And to to definitely move in in terms of fantasy points all around, just much more efficient offense. It can't get much worse than it was with Nathaniel Hackett last year. Yeah, I think Wilson also has the the rushing floor, right? And has been pretty consistent with his health. Um, I know Russell Wilson's Let's, rushing floor has decreased. Yeah, I got to look up those Russell Wilson rushing stats as soon as you said that. <laughs> back checking on the spot. Um, but while you're looking that up, I'm going to go back to the Dak Prescott discussion. Dak in recent years has missed some games. Yes. He, he only played 12 in 2022. The year he broke his leg, he was only played five, but played 16, 2021, 20, and then 2019, 18, 17, 16. He played 16 games across the board. So he has played in 16 games in five out of seven years of his career. That's pretty consistent with health. Two has yet to eclipse 13. So the reason I have Dak higher is I'm expecting him to hit 14, 15, 16 in that range. I'd say 14's low. The projections right now have him for 16, right? The projections right now have Aaron Rodgers for 16. The projections right now have Russell Wilson for 16. They don't have Tua for 16. They have Tua projected for 14, which is one game more than he's ever played. So there's, just from a fantasy perspective, from total points only, it'd be impossible for him to breach those in fantasy points for total mm-hmm. season unless he had this monstrous campaign where he's like QB, top five QB, QB overall on a weekly basis. Right. right. No, yeah, so, I'm looking, I mean, I'm looking at our projections sheet right now. And if you just look at PPR points per game among the quarterbacks, that would catapult Tua all the way up to just behind Joe Burrow and above Deshaun Watson, which I think that's probably about right. Captures his upside. Agreed. Like if you have one game where he's healthy, that's probably where you rank him that week. Depends on obviously the opposing defense and whatnot. But I think that it just comes down to the philosophy that drafters should have when it comes to upside. If you draft Tua and you get some very good weeks out of him, and maybe he does get hurt. I mean, everyone in the comments is saying, oh, he's an injury waiting to happen. I think that the the whole, I mean, like, think about it. J.J. Zacharyson built his brand on this stuff, right? Late-round quarterback. Like, you're going to be able to stream quarterbacks in most leagues. So you're better off taking that shot at the guy who can give you those top five weekly performances as opposed to settling for Kirk Cousins, who's going to be the QB 10 to QB 18 every single week. And you know he's going to be healthy, but he's not going to put you in that championship echelon. If you're drafting these quarterbacks and relying on starting them anyway, your quarterback is not the strength of your team. I think you need to take that swing for the fences. I would agree you're shooting for upside here, but there's something also to be said about roster construction, right? We have to consider the assets that you're going to have to require, that you're going to have to allocate in order to obtain now another quarterback. So if you draft somebody like a a Herbert or an even like, a you know, the God tier of like the Mahomes and Allen Hurts, you know, you don't have to take a second quarterback until late in season long. Best ball, you, you may go three or whatever you want to do. Right. But if you're drafting Tua as your quarterback one, yes, the upside is high on a week to week basis. He has the potential to be a top seven, top eight quarterback on any given week that he's healthy. However, we just went over. He's not the model of consistent health. So now you have to allocate another one of your premium picks in order to acquire a backup quarterback. And if this is best ball, you need another quarterback. You're going to have to reach earlier than maybe you would have wanted to. So now you're going to have a positional downside. But or, this is, I mean, we're not talking about comparing philosophies of drafting early quarterback versus late overall. I'm just talking about why Tua, like if you draft 
Kirk Cousins as your QB1 in that same best ball draft, you're also going to draft your QB2 sooner than you would if you drafted Josh Allen. Like, I mean, that's kind of comparing apples and oranges. Let's put it this way. Jose, Jose, Jose has a good question. I like this one. Now you phrase this. What are the chances to as a top eight quarterback at the end of 2023? Let's call it top 10. Because I think, the thing is, I think that that's the I think that that's actually a really that this question highlights an interesting way that people think about fantasy football and how we should pivot the way we think about it. Because what matters isn't that Tua is, gives you top eight season long performance. What you want is like wins over replacement, right? People think about war in baseball. If Tua plays 10 games this season, maybe it's weeks one through five and maybe it's weeks 12 through 17. Maybe it's the first 10 weeks. Maybe it's the last 10 weeks. Doesn't matter how he gets there, but if he gives you 10 games where he's the QB six in PPR points per game, and then you backfill all those other games with, I don't know, Kenny Pickett or Baker Mayfield, you're probably still going to come out ahead of the guy who started Kirk Cousins every week because of that weekly upside, especially, I mean, we don't know who's going to be healthy when, and the playoffs are by far the most important weeks in any fantasy format. And in those playoffs, you want the highest single week upside. I mean, Eric Bynfor, Spike Week, they've literally built a whole other brand off of this as well. And I think that that is just the biggest misconception of like, we shouldn't be thinking about, is he going to be top eight by the end of the season? It's how much week to week value and upside can he deliver for your roster? And I think that he gives you way more of that than Kirk Cousins. Some people say cucumbers taste better pickled, Dario. And... <laughs> And I, I think you're looking at on a week-to-week basis. I'm looking at a season-long. That's where the ranking. I think that's where the disconnect is. I think I would agree with you in terms of week-to-week points. He's a top-10 quarterback. Top eight, possibly. But on a season-long right. projections, which is what we have here, I just can't do it based upon health. Right. Let's, no, I think that, yeah, it just, my final point is like, it just translates to where does that top eight weekly upside translate to in the seasonal rankings? I think QB 14 is too low. Should probably be somewhere closer to QB 11. Okay, let's move along. Let's go to running back now. Let's go to Elijah Mitchell. Okay, running back 61 on on our rankings or my uh, my rankings. Running back 42, you say an underdog. I don't give a shit about underdog rankings when I'm doing my projections, Dario. Love underdog. Love the platform. Love drafting there. Love everything about it. But when I'm doing rankings and projections, I try to go against the grain here. I try to look at things outside of the box. I don't want to go with the masses here. I'm trying to think of things from a non-biased point of view, and I'm trying to think of how they're going to break down the offense. Plain and simple for me, Elijah Mitchell's second fiddle to arguably the best running back in the league, Christian McCaffrey. They have a lot of weapons now inside the offense with Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon, uh, the Ayuk as well. Right Now, if Lance potentially starting the first couple weeks until Brock Purdy is able to throw, you have the rushing quarterback, Nin, who's now going to be also involved in the rushing game. Where does Elijah Mitchell fit into this piece of puzzle? I understand he's been win healthy again. Another health concern here. Win healthy, he has been on the field and has performed. However, his opportunities have definitely dwindled under Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, there, there's no debating that. I just think that it's, it's kind of funny because I think back to the playoff best ball drafts going into this last postseason, and a lot of people's favorite sleeper was Elijah Mitchell because he's going to have a role in the 49ers blowout victories. He's going to be a very valuable handcuff as long as he's healthy. Like you said, Elijah Mitchell himself is probably going to come out near the top 
of the injury forecast when when I run the injury finder this offseason in the next couple of weeks. But I again, I think it kind of ties into the Tua argument where how much is that contingent upside worth to your team? And I think having him below names like Kyron Williams, Jamichael Hasty, James Robinson, Gus Edwards, Dearness Johnson, like is Dearness Johnson still a free agent right now? I think this is just disrespectfully low for a guy who's on. I mean, he's like you said, he's on your team. I think that he should be closer to that running back 45, 50 range, like just behind maybe the Jalen Warrens and Michael Carters of the world. I got to switch over to season. I was on FFPC. He was even lower than FFPC. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's take a look here. So Elijah Mitchell, man, I I love Elijah Mitchell. this is the guy who I blew 80% of my fab on when he, like that rookie. Where he yeah, broke. yeah, yeah. Week and, one out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I owned him in like 60 something percent of leagues and I dropped him. Like, cause it happened on like, it happened week two. It was week two. He was the ad on the week. And the week one, he did nothing. And I was like, the path to success here is never going to happen. It, it's going to take two or three injuries and all of it lined up perfectly. Next thing you know, Elijah Mitchell was, was in the driver's seat. But just, it, it breaks down a snap share for me. Right. And, and, when he's on the field, this is all, of course, healthy games, and these are the stats over at Player Profiler. He was only on the field 25% of snaps. That's low, right? That's that's very low, especially from a running back who's going to be on the RB2. So 25 well, I think that you have to keep in mind that that, that data season-long snap share is going to be biased like towards the fact that he had games where he was hurt during the game. So like if you look at week one, right? He oh, got we have to consider one. that. We have to consider that he left that game hurt. I'm just saying that stat is misleading because he left that game early. I get it. But it's also part of the puzzle. Like he has injury concerns. This is I mean, why McCaffrey does too, right? Why why weren't people drafting McCaffrey as the clear number one overall last season? It was because of injury concerns. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, he played 16 me, games, I've, 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 I I built the app data wise that we use to predict whether or not running backs are going to get hurt. And frankly, Elijah Mitchell, where, where was Elijah Christian Mitchell? McCaffrey? I think they were both in the top five for running backs going into last season. Elijah Mitchell will probably be at the top this season. Any, any run, any niner running back is in the top five pretty much. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> it's so fun. But um, the, I think that that kind of like, you know, if you had to flip two coins, right? Like say, say that any given game, there's like, a 50% chance McCaffrey misses it and a 50% chance Mitchell misses it. This is like total oversimplification. Yep. But if you're flipping two coins, a quarter of the time, you're going to get the outcome where Mitchell is healthy and McCaffrey's not. And in that scenario, Mitchell's automatically a top 10 running back. Like that alone makes me want to draft him where, where, right. let's, where you let's have Let's take a look at his snap share. All right. Snap share. I'm just saying, he's, I think he's being overdrafted right now. And I get it. It's a, it's a, it's a high handcuff because if something were to get, this is again, this is the, this is the, the difference between you going for upside and me doing projections. I'm not, I don't want to look at it from a drafting standpoint right now. And everyone's going to go to that point, but this is a projections debate. This is end of season. Where do they finish fantasy point wise? Yes, they have a ceiling, they have a floor, but at the end of the season, where are they finishing? This is what, this is what I'm graded off inside the fantasy pros competition. Dario, that's what that fucking trophy is back here. <laughs> For a top five finish is where do they finish at? We can bake an upside all we want. That's great. You can have a model where they have a high-end finish. They have a low-end finish. But ultimately, it's where do they finish based upon injury, how many games they played, total fantasy points, where do they finish? And you look at Elijah Mitchell, and he's 
look at us. Let's just look at last year's snapshot. Let's forget about the previous season where he was also hurt. But let's take a look at week one. 23.9% snap share, six carries. Christian McCaffrey wasn't even here yet. Yes, he got hurt. Okay. Boom. I mean, it's, you can't it's like, ten. It's like, come on. It's like let me let me pull up the stat from when Raheem Mostert got hurt on like his first carry of the game and tell you about how his snap share was only four percent in that you game. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It's not irrelevant. <laughs> it's a meaningless stat. It's not because injury is a real thing with him. Look at Beckett in his rookie season of twenty twenty one. He got injured there too. Okay, his rookie season twenty twenty one. I was about to bring this up. He had two hundred and seven carries. Admittedly, this is before McCaffrey got there. And he was a baller, by the way. He was a baller. 207 carries. You're only projecting him for 98 this year. Like, I think that that's egregiously low. Like I said, there's he had 45 carries last year. He only had one game without McCaffrey, right? So look, think about it that way. He had one game without Christian McCaffrey where he had six carries and he got hurt. I think that's like a, that's a non-factor. I mean, sure, he got hurt, but like you can't use that against him, I would say. And then... And he played in four more games during the regular season where he saw a total of 39 more carries. So in four games that he shared the field with McCaffrey, he saw 39 carries over the course of a whole season. You're projecting him for 98. That just seems ridiculous. You failed to mention that one of those games was 18. Every other game was nine, seven, five, nine. So he had one game where they blew out and they got ahead and they ran the ball the entire time with Mitchell. Do you don't do you don't think the 49ers can do that again to people this season? There's I don't think they're going to give him 18 carries. They're going to they're going to be games where the 49ers are blowing people out again. I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah, 18 carries though even even if they're in a blowout, that's a lot of touches. 9 12 even I think is realistic for him. 6 is maybe on the low side. I haven't projected for about roughly 6 touches a game, 6 carries a game, not touches, 6 carries a game. And that breaks down to him playing all 16 games. It's just not going to happen. He's not going to play all 16 games based upon what we have seen so far. And it's hard to predict injuries. Right. But like you do it pretty well with your injury predictor. I'd love to see where he jumps in on that model this year. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he'll be at the top. But I think the thing is that's kind of like it comes back to probabilistic thinking, right? Like even if say that there's a 70, like I think last year the highest guys had about a 60, 65% chance of missing two or more games. That still means there's a 35% chance they don't do that. Like it, there's there's such a wide window of uncertainty in fantasy football and I want to lean into that uncertainty and get these guys who have very high league winning potential if if say Christian McCaffrey goes down. You can't okay, and I guess I'm playing devil's advocate here. You're banking on an injury for an injury-prone guy now in order to finish as that upside. So now you're banking on McCaffrey getting injured so that way the upside can kick in for Elijah Mitchell. And now you're banking on the fact that he's not going to get injured from an injury-prone guy in order to outbeat this 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 projection. That's a dangerous, dangerous game, my friend. I mean, I get I think the thinking because you want a, that league-winning upside. I get it. That, that's, a, that's a lot of twisting there, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I think like you, you, but like, I mean, I think that whether like we can talk about the theoretical case for or against him all night long, but currently you have him ranked behind Gus Edwards, James Robinson, Gus Dearness Johnson. I think that this is just like, I think that's, it's disrespectful. Like I said, I think that he's going to get those touches. I know that, Oh, it, it maybe he'll, I'm sure he's a little bit higher in standard because he's not the, the most pass catch heavy back. 
kind of the same conversation we got into with Deontay Foreman last week. But I think that there's just guys that you currently have ranked ahead of him who I just cannot imagine pushing the button on. For what it's worth, Jernis Johnson, I am still projecting him to come back to Cleveland. I it, it hasn't happened yet, right? And and but I'm I'm kind of hoping it does. If it doesn't, of course he's going to be ahead of Jernis Johnson. Yeah, and uh, I think that. I mean, to be honest with you, I think even if he does come back to Cleveland, I think they would want to see what they have in Jerome Ford. He's not going to be the clear, like number two behind Chubb as he was when Kareem Hunt, or I think when Hunt and Chubb both got hurt, is when everyone fell in love with Ernest a couple of years ago. Yep. I just don't see him getting into that position. I, I like exactly if if you're drafting. I mean, we're we're talking about your rankings today, and if you're drafting today. In what world are you taking Dearness Johnson over Elijah Mitchell? Yeah, it, it, in a draft, it's not happening. Season-long projections, though. Again, this is where this is where I want to separate the the thought process. This is not about a draft room, although projections help in a draft room. Projections at the end of the day are where do they finish fantasy points wise? At the end of the season, we say he's running back ten. Did he finish as running back fifteen? But he had. Five weeks inside at the top five in the running back position. That's great. He had a lot of upside, but he still finished outside the top 10, right? This is what I'm saying here is that Elijah Mitchell and Dernis Johnson, I get what you're saying that it's low, but it's also because I'm not projecting him to finish the season. I'm not projecting him to play an entire 14, 15, 16, 17 games. I think my projection, I'd have to look at it, but I think it's probably in the 12 to 14 range. I don't think he plays more than two thirds of the season because of his injury concern. And like I said, he's going to come high on your, on your model, but from a raw number standpoint, it just breaks down to his, his snap share, how much he's involved in the offense. And then the amount of games that he's going to play. Right. I think that like, it's still a Shanahan running back. Like for, I feel like for every off season, since Shanahan's been the 49ers head coach, it's like a thirst trap for fantasy football analysts, right? We're all obsessing over who has a chance to get those those golden Shanahan carries where you'll probably average like five yards a carry. And if they're still going to be a run-heavy team, regardless of who's under center, right? I think like we saw that with Brock Purdy. They let the weapons carry him down the stretch last season. We've seen it with Jimmy Garoppolo. Can you please say the GOAT, please, when you say Brock Purdy's name? <laughs> we'll wait. We'll wait on that. Um but I think that it's just like it's you're getting a chance to get one of the eggs of the golden goose that is the 49ers running back room. Yes, there's running this, there's injury concerns. But like, like I think this kind of really relates to the Tua conversation where you, I think you should be chasing that weekly upside. And these are the guys that are going to give you that. Sure, they might have injury concerns, but in the weeks, where you can confidently put them in your lineup, they're going to deliver for you. And that is kind of what wins. That's what wins fantasy championships at the end of the day, right? Do you disagree I, I, with that? I completely agree with that, but we're doing a projections debate, Dario, not a <laughs> winning fantasy football <laughs> championship debate. I think that, I mean, <laughs> what are projections for if not helping us win fantasy football championships? To win projection contests and, and ranking contests, like this trophy back here. Yeah, That's I mean... <laughs> that's that's cute but i think that it's still like i mean what is it helps in draft rooms one upside is upside is completely different winning a fantasy football from what i rank and what i actually draft are two different things 
I bake in my projections and rankings. Don't get me wrong. But you have to consider, like you said, upside when you are drafting. Where if I'm doing projections and rankings, you also have to consider downside. And I think you have this to, is, I mean, for the viewer a, or the listener, great, I think this is like a very valuable thing to hear right now, right? Because if yeah. if they go to playerprofiler.com right now and they look at our rankings, which are based on these seasonal projections, they'll have Elijah Mitchell at running back 61 right now. I'm telling you that's too low. I think you agree with the logic. If you're in a draft room, you're defending why he's down there in the projections. I think the takeaway is we probably need to boost him up in the rankings, even though his projected points are a little bit lower than some other guys right now. Yeah, bottom line, what we're saying is if you want him, you're going to have to take him ahead of where we have him ranked because we know he's going to get hurt. Dario's even said he's going to be high in the model again. And so, I, I, I'd be very confident of that, unfortunately, for, for Eli. Oh, I just got called. I didn't even see the signings. That happened last week? I missed it. Yeah, I totally missed that too. I was oh. I was in Paris last week in my defense. Yeah, and I was stuck in <laughs> I was stuck in um a bunch of meetings last week. So that's that's great. That changes things. So Elijah Mitchell is officially ahead of Jonas Johnson in the rankings. But uh <laughs> that's as far as we're moving him today, Dario. No, what we'll <laughs> let's let's move on to the next player. Um Mike Williams versus Keenan Allen. This is this one's great. This has been a debate for a couple of years now, and we continue to go back to the well. I have Mike Williams. Let's take a look at the projections and the rankings here. Okay. Let's go to seasonal wide receivers. I have Keenan Allen at 19. I have Mike Williams at 23. And they're only separated by three PPR points. That tier of wide receivers is, is very tight. I mean, all the way from really like Michael Pittman down to Chris Godwin, wide receiver 17 to 26. They're all, they're all neck and neck in projections. So I think that it's funny. I, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but that there's a certain aspect of upside and people think like the debate between Keenan Allen and Mike Williams is always characterized as like upside versus consistency, right? Keenan Allen, you know, you're going to get a lot of those eight target seven catch 75 yard games. Michael, Mike Williams, you have much higher risk of getting like a one catch dud. But I think if, if I told you any given week that a chargers wide receiver had 140 yards and two touchdowns. Like, what is the probability that you would say that it's Mike Williams? I think it, I'll let you answer that. Yeah, I would say that was probably Mike Williams. But if I also said there was a tart, there was a Chargers wide receiver who had 15 catches last week, who would you think it was? Yeah, probably Keenan Allen. (laughs) And so a lot of this goes back again to the volume versus upside again. And it goes down to the amount of snaps that they're on the field. It goes down to the amount they're being targeted, you know, the target rate, the target share, right? It, I think it goes without questioning that when healthy and on the field, Keenan Allen is probably one of the most, you know, targeted receivers in the game, right? Target rate sure. last year of 27.8%. Numbers are over at Player Profiler. Target share, 22.5% when on the field, 27% inside the red zone, right? There, he is always being targeted. We just talked about this offense with Kellen Moore now and coming over to the Chargers. And you know how how high I'm on this entire offense in general this year. Oh, yeah. Love love the Chargers this year. It's why I have Herbert ranked ahead of Burrow. That was the reason why I got docked last week. A lot of people in man versus machine, but I'm sticking to my guns. We have Keenan Allen. We have Mike Williams. Mike Williams 
by all means has a chance to go nuclear in any given game, 150, 200 yards, two touchdowns. Both of them are injury prone, right? Mm-hmm. And they're both one year older. And, and they're both one year older. But it breaks down to me is just the consistent amount of targets that we see from Keenan Allen, right? You go back to even, so let, let's just go back in his years. Last year, only playing 10 games, he saw 89 targets still, right? That's 8.9 per game. He saw 157 the year before we played 16 games, 147 2020, where he played 14 games, 150 targets in 16 games, 137 targets in 15 games, 159 targets in 16 games. And I'll stop there at 2017. It's back far enough where he's getting too young now. But we take a look at that average. We could say it's safe to say he's going to get somewhere between 130 and 150 targets based upon those numbers if he were to play and extrapolate out through a 16 or 17 game season, right? Uh, you yeah, can't sure. say the same for Mike Williams. Mike Williams, you look back and he's only breached 100 one time his entire career. He had 129 in 2021. Last year, he played 13 games. He had 93 targets, 16 games. So like I said, 2021, he had 129, 15 games, 85, 2020, 15 games, 2019, 90 targets. I think. Right? That, I mean, using, I think that Mike Williams is a kind of, kind of a late bloomer, right? Like if you're going to use the first three years of his career against him, I don't know if that's as relevant as data can be to this conversation. I think that the more important thing is I'm looking at Keenan Allen's target rate over the year, right? Over the years, 2017 and 2018, he was in the top three in the league, both times, 31% and 32%. Last couple of years, that's declined. Last season, 26.7%. Or two seasons ago, 26.7%. Last season, 27.8%. Now, Admittedly, I'm pretty concerned about where the target rate went for Mike Williams this season. It went back down to 20.9% after an encouraging 23.8% last year. I just think it comes down to people's conceptions of consistency and upside and what we really should be Mike Williams is more consistent than Keenan Allen? No, no, no. Keenan Allen has more consistency, obviously. But the idea of valuing consistency as a desirable trait in the fantasy players that you draft is is outdated and actually will guide you in the wrong direction. I did a very thorough study on this last offseason. It turns out that the guys who simply score the most points have the better chance of being more consistent the following year. Being consistent is not a consistent trait, if that makes sense. So even though Keenan Allen has been a model of consistency, that doesn't necessarily guarantee he's going to be consistent in delivering fantasy points next year he's gonna still be i mean he's gonna be 32 this this season or like you know 31.5 or whatever so i think that we really should be thinking about what is the evolution of these guys roles gonna be i mean keenan allen both of these guys are making 20 million dollars a year keenan allen was the only one that was sort of on the trade block i think that kellen moore is going to unlock the vertical element in this offense and that's going to be done with Mike Williams. I still think volume is king in fantasy football. I love the upside of Mike Williams. And we're splitting hairs here. We're talking about three fantasy points yeah. in the projection. So by all means, if you want to fucking draft Mike Williams, take Mike, Mike Williams here. That's three fantasy points. This could be swung either way. But if I'm just defending the pure number standpoint, for me, it just breaks down to opportunity. One, how much is he being thrown at? How much is he getting the ball? And that has been consistently Keenan Allen. If he's getting that much opportunity, he's going to have all that those chances 
to get a breakaway run, to beat a defender, to shake his his man, to get a touchdown. Consistency is great. Volume is king. And Mike Williams just doesn't get the volume. If he got the volume that Keenan Allen got, we'd be talking about potentially the top three, top four wide receiver in the league. But he just doesn't get it. Whatever reason it is, can't get open. What He's hurt. There's You name it. There's a lot of different reasons why he's not getting the ball. But... It's broken down to right. Bottom but line that, is when they're both in the field, they they target Keenan Allen, right? And I mean this, it, it's kind of funny because I feel like a broken record right now. It, it really winds back to the Elijah Mitchell conversation because if I told you that one of these guys had a top five, like let's talk about, instead of weeks, we'll talk about seasons. If I, if, if I said, hey, one of the Chargers receive, look at my crystal ball. One of the Chargers receivers finished as a top not even top five, top seven wide receiver on the season, which like, give me a probability of Mike Williams versus Keenan Allen that you think that which one it would be for top five. Yeah. If I can get a healthy, healthy out of all of them. Yeah. I mean, presumably anyone for anyone to get top five, they have to be held. I think like health is, Health I'm is, gonna say Keenan Allen because he probably gets 160, 170 targets. Oh my god! <laughs> you're now you're relying on touchdowns and you're relying on big plays for Mike Williams to get there. Where if we knew today that we could get a healthy 16, 17 games out of Keenan Allen, you're talking about potentially the target leader in the entire NFL based upon how much the Chargers throw. The Chargers threw what was it 690 something times last year? I oh. mean, Keenan Allen was it's a lot perfectly of perfectly healthy of in 2021. Had 157 targets and he was the number 11 wide receiver in PPR points per game. That's number 11. Where did Mike Williams finish? <laughs> I'm just saying that a healthy Keenan uh, that was he was number 13 that year. I mean, it's, it's again we're, we're splitting split, hairs, but still that's but, two spots lower. Uh, we're, uh, we're two spots. We're, 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 we're splitting hairs on the projections here. We're splitting hairs in the years they were both healthy. We just had that's probably the best scenario we've given all day on this discussion because. They both played 16 games. They both saw this is the most targets that we've seen in entire Mike Williams' career, and he still couldn't eclipse them. It's the only only time in his career he had 100 targets. He went 129. He's never broke 100 outside of that, ever. I mean, that's, I don't know. To me, setting arbitrary minimums like that is not the most productive way to look at fantasy players. But I think that... You're a numbers guy, Dario. Like you said, it comes down to just how people want to draft in this range. I just remember last offseason, it was like Mike Williams was was lagging way behind Keenan Allen in ADP for most of the offseason. That gap closed really fast. And I think that by the time, like, I, I mean, I drafted a lot on underdog, so that's kind of what I have seared into my memory. And he, I'm pretty sure that Mike Williams surpassed Keenan Allen by the end of draft season on underdog. So I think that we could see something very similar play out this season. I'm kind of getting ahead of that curve. And I think that I'm just, you know, like I said, I did the research. I found that consistency doesn't necessarily matter. In fact, inconsistency can help you win leagues, right? I mean, we talk about spike weeks, we talk about boom scoring potential. We know that Mike Williams is more so that guy than Keenan Allen. And I think I'm just trying to let our listeners know they should be looking that way when they're in that section of the draft. I mean, these guys, all these receivers in this section is splitting hairs. You're drafting a portfolio of teams. You're going to want exposure to all of them. I'm just letting you guys know what the case for Mike Williams over Keenan Allen is right now. Speaking of booming, the 
Epson projector that Matt got is huge. It is massive. Love this thing. Let's go ahead and take a look at what he was watching this weekend. Oh, hey, it's the Podfather. I'm watching uh, my friends Billy Muzio and Theo Greminger from First Class Fantasy on this Epson Epic Vision LS800 short throw laser projector system. It's incredible. I had no idea the picture quality was this good. It takes up almost my entire wall. Epson actually sent me the projector and the screen is sold separately. Boy, this is the way to enjoy sports. It's the way to enjoy the Player Profiler Podcast Network. So go to Epson.com slash podfather. It is Epson.com slash podfather and check this thing out. Look, looks pretty sweet. You think Matt can send it over to me when he's done? Yeah. Man, we were supposed to do it like 20 minutes ago, but we got so deep into our Tua and Elijah <laughs> Mitchell debate that I completely just <laughs> went off the brain there. Um, okay, we got about 10 more minutes. Dario, a little under. I'm supposed to hop on to the podcast here as a guest on Alex Caruso's show. So I want you to pick one of these debates. You want to talk about Elijah Moore versus Donovan Peoples-Jones, or do you want to talk about Pat Fryermuth right now? I think these are both really compelling. We'll just save the other one for next week. Let's talk about Elijah Moore right now, just because I you you sent me a screenshot and you grilled me over <laughs> where he came out when I initially put him on the Browns. I... I, I see now that that was a little bit too low. I think that yeah. it I think that it was kind of just my just direct intuition. And then I saw where that actually came out in the rankings because I was just like, you know, updating it, posting it to the site. And then I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that probably is a little bit low for Elijah Moore. But the way I look at this offense is Donovan Peoples-Jones, by all accounts, has been a better NFL wide receiver through two seasons than Elijah Moore. I mean, Obviously, Elijah Moore has had his off-field shenanigans within the Jets organization, and Donovan Peoples-Jones was just a consistent producer last season. He was one of those guys who underperformed on touchdowns, so he didn't get all the fantasy attention he deserved. And then on top of that, you have David Njoku, who's being paid like a top-five tight end, and Amari Cooper in this offense. I just don't see the path for all four of these guys to succeed in a run-first scheme i think that that's what led me to simply having elijah moore so low right off the bat when i analyzed that trade okay i'm confused so you're saying that i was what's the debate here because i have donovan people jones ranked ahead of elijah moore I, I i'm saying the debate is elijah moore could be even further down like I, it's we're just talking about elijah moore donovan people's jones is the reason that elijah moore needs to be way lower Okay, so you're right now. We have Peoples Jones right now is at wide receiver 49. Okay, FFPC ADP is 117.2. Um, Dave's in the chat. Dave, do we round up or down there for ADP? 117.2. Dario, do you round up or down on ADP? What do you mean? That's, like, that's a joke from last year, Dario. That's that's a that's a joke. Oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Dave likes us to round here. Um, we have. Mitchell, so let's go to, uh, not Mitchell, so Elijah Moore. Uh, Elijah Moore is at 60. So they're separated by 11 spots in ADP. Elijah Moore is actually going, what is it, 103. 103 is his ADP. What did I say DPJ was? 117. So Elijah Moore is actually being drafted now ahead of Donovan Peoples-Jones. 
Yeah, that's at the FFPC. So I think maybe in this case, we're in agreement for once and we're just letting the people know that they should be taking DPJ ahead of Elijah Moore. What do you think? No, I, I think Elijah Moore really eats into Donovan Peoples-Jones not only his efficiency, but also just the overall pie. Um, I think Elijah Moore hurts David Njoku more than anything. Um, but I think Elijah Moore is the superior talent here. I think that, again, I haven't updated since you put in Elijah Moore. I need to go through tonight, but I'm going to bump him up here. I'm going to override you, Dario. But I think <laughs> that Elijah Moore should probably be in that Honestly, probably the Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadaris Tony, Zay Jones range, that 48 through 51, 52. I mean, he needs to be ahead of Alan Lazard, probably, you know, Romeo, Romeo, for instance. I know how much you love Romeo. You know, that's a joke. <laughs> I mean, I, I know how that, I know I how much that Cody loves know, Romeo. We're, we're and right now, we have him. We have you have him behind Romeo for crying out loud. And I actually like Romeo. I mean, hey, I, I'm going to I'm going to use your own um, to give you a taste of your own medicine here. And tell you this is a projections debate, not not a drafting <laughs> and winning championships debate. And if this, if we're doing seasonal projections right now, Romeo Dobbs is the wide receiver two on the Packers, and Elijah Moore could easily finish fourth in targets on the Browns. Man, so, I love that you're using this because I want everyone to listen to this and go back to everything we just said <laughs> and use that same logic as you vote. Go yeah, to the see, I think that <laughs> it's it's just a matter of like. You, you can't. You're you're trying to play both sides here, and I'm. Calling no, I'm not. I'm I'm just saying, plain and simple, the projection is wrong. I think. I think that this. It, I'm going to go in. I'm going to look at. I, I've. Let me, let me. I'm going to pull it up live, so we can talk about it. Let's head on over. Okay, so we have. Let's go to Cleveland. So let's go to the AFC North. All right. Let's see what we have in there right now for Deontay Johnson. Not Deontay Johnson. Sorry, um, Elijah Moore. I was looking at the. Um, I was looking at Pittsburgh when I said that. Um. <laughs> Okay, so right now we have given for 15% target share. Right, and that was like, I, I couldn't bring myself to put him ahead of either of Njoku or Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mean, you talked about target rate. Last season, Elijah Moore's target rate was 14.1%. I mean, you could chalk that up to bad quarterbacking, but at the end of the day, if you're running a route and you're getting open, you should be the ball should be getting thrown in your direction, and Elijah Moore just completely and utterly failed. It's twenty twenty one though he saw almost a nineteen percent target share, so I think we're a little low here on fifteen percent. Even if we bump it up to just sixteen, let's do sixteen and a half. Let's do live projections updates for everybody. Let's do six, <laughs> sixteen and a half takes him to ninety three target. I think that's more realistic than low eighty that you had him. Okay, catch percentage looks like you gave him a boost of a boost there, so I think that's accurate. 60% because before he was with the, the god-awful Jets. Um, I think uh, yard per reception, you gave him another slight uptick. That gives him 695 yards. Okay, That gives him four and a half touchdowns. I think that's realistic. So just by giving him two and a half percent more target share, where did that move him in the rankings? Let's see. He went up to 52, right behind, uh, right, right, in, right in front of Romeo Dobbs, hilariously. Um I think, I, I, debate, that, I think that just won the debate, I think that that just won the debate. That's where we just said he should be. I mean, you said that's where he should be, and then you put him there. What does that prove? I didn't. I'm gonna, I didn't, I didn't I'm like, gonna, oh, he should be lower. Let me go change his projection share. back down. Like, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me. I think, all, I think. I think. I he think should be we were 50% low. Target we were share. Low. Let me I hold think, on. Let's see where he goes if I put him back down there. So you did the move for us because I was busy that day. You did the move for us to move him into Cleveland. 
And I gave you, like you said, I gave you shit for it. I gave you a text. I think 14% was too low. 16% I think is realistic. I had him at 15. He's back at 15. Oh, it's, oh wait. Look, I just won the debate because I just changed his projection and now he's back where I said he should be. <laughs> good, good. All man. right, everybody. Go down. Go ahead. Inside the comments down here is the poll. It's on the community post. So if you can't get to it now, come back. Go to community on the YouTube channel. Give it a vote. For those five of you who voted before the show started, I appreciate your loyalty. I was up 60-40. But go back <laughs> and please vote. Now that you've heard the debate, the books are closed for last week. 59% to the man, 41% to the machine. Let's see what happens here in week number two, Dario. Any final closing statements other than you can't say that you won? Any other I mean, closing statements? I, I, I'm not going to say that I won because I know that I won. I don't need to have the voters reassurance. I can sleep well at night with or without it. But I think that I think that today we got into a really interesting conversation about how to leverage projections when you're drafting how to think about upside yeah. and just i mean it's kind of funny because the i think someone in the chat was was roasting me because elijah moore they're saying elijah moore has upside while dpj is clearly mid so it's kind of <laughs> we're, we're flip-flopping positions here and i, I it, it is kind of a, a funny observation but i think overall it's just a great conversation about how to think about upside how to think about projections i think this is we're giving people a great peek behind the curtain and just make sure to vote for the machine. That's that's all I have to say. This is kind of like the art of fantasy football, right? This is where this is where you can win a lot of money. This is where you win your leagues. Is if you can find that balance between upside and projections. Like if you can figure that that science out, Dario, you're gonna be a millionaire. And you're, I mean, <laughs> it's that's that's the, that's the one of the toughest things in fantasy football right now is finding that upside. Also, versus what the raw projections and rankings say. Otherwise, if this was just a pure rankings projection thing whoever was most accurate every year would be the, the best fans player in the world. And it's not always a scenario. So, yeah. And I think that like, you know, I mentioned this with the injuries, right. With Elijah Mitchell versus Christian McCaffrey, it's fantasy football is almost like a random number generator. You get every week is only going to happen once a bunch of random things happen. Every season is only going to happen once and just a hugely unpredictable chain of events is going to play out. We're trying to get ourselves in the best position to benefit from that. And I think that, yeah, this, this is just a super interesting exercise and conversation about all that. Oh, we have Cody saying here that he thinks, wow, that's high. Elijah, Elijah Moore in the mid-30s. I think that's high. But we, but he says later on, 87 targets, 670 yards. That was pretty close to the um, the update that we did live on air right there, Dario, to 16%. Just want to just close with that, everybody. That's the Andrew Machine. <laughs> we'll see you all back here next week. Uh, same time, same place over here at the Player profiler podcast network thanks for tuning in be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop and be sure to check out playerprofiler.com we have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league we have a draft kit dynasty deluxe data analysis dfs dominator and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all